Well, now let us turn our attention again to the Word of God. And we are in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 to 12, and then Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, and so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, though which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found, because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heirs of the righteousness, which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which had foundations, which builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age, because she was judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. And then we'll move over to Hebrews 12. And we'll just read the first three verses. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostilities from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. May the Lord add a blessing to his holy word. Amen. Let us pray for illumination. Lord, we pray that you would open up this text to us this, tonight. We thank you again for the opportunity to hear your word. Lord, we know that uh, that the Hearers of the word are not justified, but the doers of the word. And so, Lord, we pray that the word that we sent forth tonight will enable us to be more of a doer of your word. And, Lord, may the word again produce fruit. May it make us love you more, serve you more, obey you more, and honor you more. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray that you would arrest our attention so that we might hear what you have to tell us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start off by reading just a, a little antidote about how the word, where Marathon came from. It says, the name Marathon came from the legend of Philippides, 
the Greek messenger. The legend states that he was sent from the battlefield of Marathon to Athens to announce that the Persians had been defeated in the Battle of Marathon, in which he had just fought, which took place in August or September of 490 BC. It is said that he ran the entire distance without stopping and burst into the assembly, exclaiming, we have won before collapsing and dying. Whether that's true or not, I doubt it, but it is a legend. And it's a good segue into tonight's message about running the race, running the race. In the military, we do quite a bit of running. Um, it is required because they have uh, determined that running is very good to determine your fitness for duty. And so every year we have to take a running test, a physical training test, about a mile and a half. And the running is a good test because it tells you how fit you are and how well you have been trained. Uh, it's very hard if you're not fit to run a mile and a half. <clears throat> well, running indeed is a good assessment of where we are in our physical fitness. And notice the scriptures say, run this race with patience. We all like to walk, go for a nice little walk on a nice day. But running is different because running requires everything that we have. It requires mental toughness. It requires determination, perseverance, self-denial. It requires us not listen to ourselves, which is often screaming at us to stop. So the Christian life is defined as a race. This is a race which we are running. Um, A.W. Pink says this, that this race that we're running is a life of faith and obedience that pursue the personal holiness to which the Christian is called. And indeed, that is a good example of running. Well, today we would like to look at how to run. We like to look at three things. One, ask you that you listen to the witnesses. Secondly, that you lose something. And thirdly, that you look to a person. Pretty easy to follow, listen, lose, and look. It says in uh, Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore also, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses. Well, who are these witnesses that we're surrounded? In other words, whatever this race is, we're not running it by ourselves. We're not running it individually. Now, some commentaries said the witnesses are those who have gone before us and they're up in heaven rooting us on. But other commentators, and I think the majority of commentators, believe that this, these witnesses are the witnesses that we find in the scriptures. The scriptures speak to us. That these witnesses are found in Hebrews 11. And all throughout the Bible, as sometimes it's called the Faith Hall of Fame. And so he tells us to listen. This morning we looked at bad examples. Well, this morning, well, this evening we want to look at some good examples. And so the scripture tells us to listen, to listen to the witnesses, to listen to the words. What about these witnesses? These are witnesses that are just like you and me. 
We think that they are somehow some super Christians or special Christians or someone that is, has superhuman strength. But no, they have the same issues, the same difficulties, the same challenges and the same problems that we have. And so the Bible says, examine them. Look at their lives so that we can better run, so that we can understand how to run. It's interesting about running. Running is more than just getting out there, putting some shoes on and, and start running. There is breathing. There's a pace and so on. And there's experts that teach you about running, how to run and so on, or friends and so on. I did a 5K recently and the guy I was running with, he was like, you know, they, in the military, they call me chaps, short for chaplain. Chaps, you got to breathe through your nose because I was like, <laughs> you, he said, you have to breathe through your nose. And so he was, he was, he was an uh, excellent runner, and he was helping me to run, to keep my pace, to moderate my pace, and so on. We got smart watches, we got smartphones, there's so many other things. And so it's the same in the Christian life, that sometimes we need some encouragements, some instructions, some lessons on how to run. And so he says, we're surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses. All of these people in Hebrews 11, all throughout the Bible, we see witnesses. We see how they ran. He talks about Enoch, Enoch walking with God. Enoch lived during a very wicked time. as in Hebrews 11, verse 5. It was a very wicked time. There was not many examples, not many people who were following God at that time. It says that at, at some point where God in Genesis was sorry that he made man. Wickedness is all over the face of the world. But Enoch walked with God, even though there wasn't many people walking with God at the time. He could have gone with the world. He could have followed the world, but he walked with God. He had testimony that he pleased God. He made a determination that he was going to walk with God. How about God asking Noah to build an ark? And it says, in, I believe in uh, Peter, that Noah preached. It was a preacher of righteousness. He told people, come on the ark before the floods come. No one believed him. No one came on the ark. Noah had no uh, successes. No one was saved through his preaching. But he preached faithfully. He preached righteousness when no one else would. Oftentimes when we witness to our, belief, our loved ones, we witness to our friends, we witness to those they don't believe us and so on. We look at Noah. He was consistently preaching and explaining to people to come on the ark. He with godly fear prepared an ark when he didn't even know uh, that the flood was coming, but he believed the Lord. Ooh, Abraham. Again, another great cloud of witness. Abraham, uh, the Bible says he was 70 years old when God called him out of his home country. And God told Abraham to leave your country, but I'm not telling you where you're going. Now, when we go somewhere, we always want to know where we're going. Could you imagine Abraham having that conversation with his wife, Sarah? Sarah, we have to leave. Where are we going? I don't know, but we got to leave. We're just going to follow God. We want to know where our destination is, where we're going, how long it's going to take for us to get there, and so on. But Abraham obeyed, and he believed God. His whole life was him believing God, believing God, even believing that when God told uh, he had been praying many years, obviously, to have a child. 
And God told Abraham when he was 99 years old that Sarah was going to have a child. The Bible says he believed God. He believed all of the promises of God. And after this miraculous birth took place, we see also that God asked Abraham to offer him up as a sacrifice. And Abraham did it, believing that even if God did kill him, God could raise him up again. And the list goes on and on about people who had faith, people who believed, and so on. And God even put in verse 31, Hebrews 11, by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe. Rahab was a prostitute, a harlot. And we read in the book of Joshua, when she received the spies with peace. And God, I believe, put Rahab in there. And so the point of the matter is that no matter who the person is, no matter who they are, it's not the person, it's the grace of God that enables us to run, enables them to run, enable them to do it. David, Samuel, and all the prophets, and so on. And then notice there in verse uh, 30, from 35 through 38, 39, we see those who were tortured, were persecuted, were killed, were scourged, were put in prison, and so on that they died for the faith. They ran the race as well. You know, it's interesting when you look in Acts, we often talk about Peter and that miraculous, um, uh, how the angel miraculously saved him when Herod had him in prison and the angel opened the door and we talk about that. That's amazing. But the chapter before, it talks about how James was beheaded. In other words, these people put their faith in God. They put their hands in the Lord's hands. They put themselves in God's hands and they ran this race with, per, with patience. And so the first thing that we see is that God says to listen to those who've gone before us. In the scriptures, maybe your parents, maybe your family members, maybe other people that you know, that we're all running the same race in that sense. And so we ought to listen to them. That's why we should read the scriptures daily. Because they encourage us. They help us. And you notice that even that oftentimes God will put in the scriptures uh, the sins of some of the great saints. Saints that sin, saints that, that, uh, that um, uh, live contrary to Christ at times. And God puts that there. Why? For our encouragement. Because when we sin, when we fall, we see that the same way that God lifted them up, and raise them up so he will do the same for us as well. And these people in verse 16, Hebrews 11 says they desired a heavenly country, a better country. Abraham never saw the promises that God said that uh, his seed would see. But he was looking not for that earthly Canaan, but that heavenly Canaan. In his whole life, Moses, the same way. Moses could have stayed in Pharaoh's house. He could have had a great life. He could have enjoyed his life. He could have gone high up the, the uh, ladder in Egyptian politicians, politics. But instead, what did he do? He left so what? So that he could uh, suffer. It says in Hebrews eleven twenty five, suffer, choose a right to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to his reward. This is how we run, with our eyes focused on God, looking to God, uh, 
surrendering our lives to him, obeying him, serving him, putting him before anything else, surrendering everything that we have, whether like Abraham leaving our homelands, even losing our lives for the sake of God and the sake of Christ. These people kept their eyes focused on a prize that they wanted. And then no matter what happened, no matter how difficult it was, no matter how much they were um, persecuted or afflicted, they kept looking to God. And so the first thing we learn is to listen to the witnesses. A second point is this, is to lose something. And when you watch the Summer Olympics, you look at the marathon runners, they're all really skinny. You don't see any big people in running marathons. And you see how they're dressed. They have on a little t-shirt and shorts that barely cover their thighs. And they have light shoes on. Why do they do that? So that they can run without hindrance. So that they can run without a burden. Take it from someone who knows. The more weight that you have on you, the harder it is to run. It's one thing to run in the Marine Corps. Oftentimes, they sometimes run with a 30-pound sack on their backs. That is difficult to run. Much easier when you take that sack off and you run. And so that's exactly what our second point is, is that spiritually, it says there, that we are to lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily besets us. Again, A.W. Pink says this, everything which requires us to take time and strength away from God, appointed duties, everything which tends to bind the mind to earthly things and hinder our affections from being set upon those things above is to be cheerfully relinquished for Christ's sake. That's what he's talking about, those which are weight, those who are burdened. Everything, all the duties, some things are lawful, some things are okay for us to do, some things are right, but if they are keeping us from the affections of being set on things above, they're keeping us from our God-appointed duties, if they're keeping us from worship, if they're keeping us from uh, serving God, then we ought to relinquish those things. That's what he means to lay aside the burden, because it's very hard to run if we have that burden. And he says, lay aside the sin which so easily besets us. Notice that word easily. Every day we have to repent. Every day we have to deny ourselves. Every day we have to uh, 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 cleanse ourselves spiritually. Every day we have to watch. It says in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, let us cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh and sins. Sin is one of the great hindrances from us running this Christian race. Very hard to be in right relationship with God if we are living in some sin. We sin daily, uh, but those besetting sins, those sins which enslave us, those sins that empower us, it will destroy our race. It will keep us from running. It will keep us, it will hinder us from running. How many people have come to the faith and profess faith in Christ and they're living for Christ and they're doing these things, they're going to church, but then they get entangled in some sin. And then suddenly, slowly but surely, they get farther and farther away from God, even some stopping to run um, all together. Again, it's like when you uh, 
gain a lot of weight and you try to run, you won't go very far. If you haven't trained to run, if you have not practiced running, if you all you're doing is eating all of these hamburgers and cakes and cookies and all these things, and you're not exercising, you're not practicing and not training, you'll find it very difficult, impossible to run. That's why these New Year's resolutions, you see people say, I'm going to lose weight. They're out there running. They, you know what, they might do a lap, and after all, you see them stopping because they are not prepared to uh, stay with it, and they find it to be too difficult and too hard. And it's the same in the Christian life. Very hard to run when we have a chain of sin about us. That sin will drag us down. It will keep us, it will put a burden on our backs, which is too hard for us to run. That's why he says, set aside that sin which so easily beset us. We know what our besetting sins are. There's so many of them, from gossip, to, we talked about this morning, sexual sins, to uh, um, idolatry, to murmuring, complaining, all of the, whatever sin it is. He says we have to uh, so easily, and notice that word easily ensnares us. It so easily gets us. It's so easy for us to get off of the beaten path. That's why that hymn we sang this morning, uh, the last one, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. All it takes is one look, one thought, or one um, bad encounter, and we are quickly off of the beat and pass. And so he says we have to constantly, diligently, the same way a runner, a marathon runner, has to train very diligent so that he can be or she can be the best runner. They have to watch what they eat. They have to uh, wake up early in the morning. They have to guard their time. They have to train throughout the day. They have to really put in the work so that they can be the best runner. So Christian runners, we have to do the same thing in a Christian way. We have to constantly be watching. We have to constantly be on our guard. We have to constantly be training ourselves up into righteousness. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, I beat my body into subjection so that I be not, so I'm not a castaway. Again, I talked about this morning our flesh. Our flesh wants to go off and do its own thing. We have to be our own worst enemies. The same way you have to tell your kids, like my mom used to say, can I have this? No. Please, no. Don't ask me again. We have to do that to our flesh repeatedly. We have to constantly tell ourselves, no, I can't do it. I can't go this way. I can't um, follow the flesh. Because the Bible says we live by the flesh, the deeds of the flesh, we will die. And so we have to lose the sin, lose those things which hinder our running from uh, the race. And then it says there, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. When I was in uh, chaplain school for the Navy, we went to Paris Island. That's in uh, South Carolina. And we observed the, um, the drill instructors. They have to be trained to be drill instructors. So they have to go through what they put the um, recruits through. And so we were in there for, we observed the training. It was pretty intense. They were getting yelled at and screamed and so on. And they were getting yelled at and they were, uh, they were get, people were screaming at them. It was, you know, it was a little, made you a little uh, 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 fidgety. But one of the things that, that the drillers the senior drill instructor told us is that every part of the 
boot camp that the Marines go through is, is planned. There is nothing that's not planned. It's been studied, it's been uh, examined, changed, evaluated. So when you see all that running and screaming, like the first day they get there, the first night they get there, there is nothing but chaos. And they do that purposely. They want the uh, new recruits to say, what have I done? What am I doing? Why am I here? I made a mistake. It's all planned. They want to turn their lives upside down, shake their, you know, when I was looking on YouTube and, and uh, you, you get to make one call. The call is simply this. Hi, I made it. Love you. Bye. That's all you're supposed to say. You can't say, and this person, this one little girl, I felt so bad. She could not, no one would answer the phone. And the recruits are just screaming at her. How come nobody's home? Find somebody. They're banging on the phone. And, you know, and again, but all of that is planned and regimented so that they are being trained to think like Marines. Think like uh, uh, military personnel. Forget that they come with long hair and jeans and all that is done. You get your hair shaved. You get, to, you get issued the uniform. And, and really, it's the same thing in this race that we're running. Your race, your lives have been planned by God. God has designed this is the way for you to enter into heaven. This is the path that he wants you to take so that you might make it into heaven. Oftentimes, we live our lives thinking, I wish I would have done something different. I wish I had gone to college. I wish I wouldn't have gone to the military. I wish I would have gone to the military. I wish. I wish I wouldn't have married that person. I wish I would have uh, not lived here. I wish I would have moved to this place and so on. We often think that. I wonder what it would have been like if I wouldn't have done it this way. But the sovereign God has mapped out our lives. He has put people in our lives, good and bad, to help us to run, to spare us on to the kingdom of God. When you think of marriage, marriage can be challenging at times. The way the world views marriage, that marriage is going to be happily ever after. It's going to be great. You know, we, you know, we fall in love with being in love. You watch the Hallmark Channel during Christmas time, and they got all these great uh, episodes of, um, you know, some great business executive moves back to a small town, like Kalamazoo, Michigan? No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> just, that, that was not called for. I'm sorry. <laughs> she fed me today, too. That's just terrible. I got to repent. But anyway. <laughs> but you know what? They, they move back to a small town. They meet their crush. And then they fall in love. And, and then it goes off. You have a good feeling. Well, marriage is not like that all the time. But you know what God made marriage for? To sanctify us. To make us holy to make us lean more on him. Because when we see how our spouse at times fails us, how our spouse at times um, hurts us, you know, it makes us realize that my spouse is not the one that can help me meet my ultimate needs, cannot fill all of my joy and peace and so on. Many times people are single, say, I'm so empty, I want to be married. And they get married, they feel the same way. They feel lonely, they feel empty. Why? Because our spouse is meant, we're supposed to love them and care for them, but they're not meant to fulfill our ultimate goals. They're not meant to meet all of our ultimate needs. They can't do it. Oftentimes when a marriage counseling, you'll see the, 
The wife has her list. Normally the husband's like, oh, why am I here? But, you know, but, but, the, but they are, but they are, basically they're saying, my needs are not being met. I need you to meet my needs. And at times they cannot meet their needs. But God is saying, look to me. Look to me. That's when marriage really thrives, when you put your marriage into the hands of God and, and you realize that your spouse is there to help you to run. God chose this person for you specifically to run, if, whether it's your job, whether it's your kids, even your enemies at work or whoever you don't like who continue to dig at you and criticize you and so on. It's all in God's plan so that we might run the race that we've called for us to run. Sometimes we might feel like leaving this race. We might feel like going off and doing something different. But this is the life that God has called us to. And when we realize that he has ordered the path for us to run, Sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's hilly, sometimes it's narrow, sometimes it's steep. In California, there's a lot of mountains. And, you know, we do, in the military, we do a lot of hike up mountains and so on. And sometimes it's very difficult and challenging. But it's the race that God has designed for us to get. And my race is different from your race. And your race is different from other people's race. The race that is set before you. Sometimes we say, well, gee, how come they have this? And how come they get this blessing? How come they have that? And I don't have that. It's not fair. Well, God says, this is the race that I set before you. It's funny when Peter and it was a John, the end of John, when uh, basically Jesus told Peter, you're going to die by, uh, you know, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to die for your faith. The first question Peter asked, what about John? What about John? And Jesus basically says, none of your business. You follow me. And how often do we do that? Don't we like to compare ourselves to other people? Well, why does this person get a new car? Well, why does this person get that? We're like kids. You remember your, you got your siblings? Well, they got one more jelly bean than I did. How come they, have, how come they get to do it and I can't do it? And so on. And so the fact of the matter is that this is the race that God has set for us to get to heaven. Because that's where we are running to. And so, to my final point, first we listen, then we lose, but finally we look. Look. It says there in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look. You know, Oftentimes when we are, whatever it is, maybe we're trying to cook a new meal or we're trying to learn, you know, maybe to play golf or whatever, you go find somebody who's really good at it. You know, you maybe go see how Tiger Woods swings his golf club or you might go and, um, uh, you know, uh, whatever it is, whether it's um, decorating or, what, or whatever, you, you look, you go find the best. If you're trying to do some, maybe some housing stuff, you go to the Property Brothers, they're really good, and you are looking for the best because you want to copy the best. And that's what the writer of Hebrews says. As we finish this race, as we run this race, we look to Jesus, who is our captain, who ran this race, who is the God-man, 
who in his human nature knew what it was like to suffer, knew what it was like to uh, be persecuted, knew what it was like to deny himself. We have a high priest that was just like us, yet without sin. And notice what he says, looking unto Jesus. What does that mean? We look by faith. We look, we examine Jesus' life. We examine his words. We examine him and we look at his life. We look how he run. And we look and see that he is the author and finisher of our faith. And then we follow his example. He says he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That word, have you ever despised anyone? You despise something. You might despise a certain food. You might despise uh, going here or going there. But the fact you still do it, Christ despised the shame. It didn't bother him. It didn't shake him. He kept moving forward. He kept looking. He kept looking to the Father, realizing he put his hand in the Father's hands. Christ gives us the ultimate example. And once he finished, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Whatever challenges you face on a daily basis, whatever difficulties, whatever trials, whatever temptations, whatever it is, like Jesus, despising the shame of the suffering, and you keep moving forward, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He ran this race perfectly, and he sat down at the right hand of God. And because we're in union with Christ, he tells us to run it like he ran it. To have that same determination, to have our eyes fixed on Christ, keeping our eyes focused on Christ, looking to Christ, looking to him for grace, looking to him to sustain us, looking to him for our joy, our peace, our comfort, looking to him for wisdom. Whatever we do, we always are looking for Christ. You should come here Sunday looking to hear from Jesus Christ. When you read the Bible, you're reading about Christ. When you pray, you want Christ to come to you. Uh, this whole um, journey that we're on, this race of endurance, praying that God give us endurance to run this race. When we feel like quitting, when we feel like giving up, when we feel like that we can't move anymore, we look to Christ. Jesus Christ is our example. Jesus never gave up. Jesus didn't quit. He continued to run. He continued to move forward. He continued to go forward. Nothing stopped him. It says in Isaiah 40, you don't have to turn to it, but he says this. He says he gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fail. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. I said it this morning, God's got strength for you. You feel weak? That's wonderful. Christ will strengthen you. They shall mount up their wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God's got strength for you. He has a abundant strength for you so that you can continue to run. Oftentimes when we run and we're exhausted, uh, we talk about getting a second wind. A second wind is that burst of energy. 
And Christ often gives us that second wind. Christ gives us that energy when we're at our lowest. We feel like we can't do it anymore. We feel like giving up. We feel like I can't do it anymore. How many of us have said that? I can't go through this anymore. I can't do it anymore. Look to Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of your faith. So run looking to him. Running experts say that the best way to run is run looking straight, looking up. It's so easy to look down because you're tired, you're weary, but you breathe better when you're looking up, when you're looking uh, straight. Isn't it the same running this race with Jesus Christ, keeping our eyes focused on him? And so may I encourage you this morning, or this evening rather, to run this race with patience. Follow the examples of those who have gone before you. Lose the sin that so easily beset you. But most importantly, look to Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, and run to him. You know, the last few laps that we run, you've, you've watched the marathon runners, when you see them run, they put it in gear, and they run as fast as they can, because it's the last uh, couple of laps. And I believe in the Christian life as well, that God is telling us to put it in gear and to run as fast as we can. Who knows how much time that we have left? Our time is short. Our time is nearer than when we believe. Oftentimes we live as if we have all the time in the world, but our days are like a vapor. These days go by fast. But let us run with diligence, with a quick pace, looking to Jesus so that we might get the reward that Jesus got, where he was received by the Father, sits at the right hand, so that we might also hear the great blessing, the great words, well done, good and faithful servant, your race is over. Let us run with endurance, with speed, and with faith. Look into Jesus. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the exhortation to run this race. Lord, oftentimes we get discouraged. We, we get um, disheartened. We, we feel like at times giving up. But Lord, help us not to give up. Lord, we have come too far to give up. Lord, we... We can't stop now. So help us to realize that. Help us to keep moving. Help us to run in your strength and your power. Bless each person here. Bless their journey. In Jesus' name, amen.